to have to deal with verse 32 and, and 5 verses 1 and 2 next week, whether the putting on and the why, as it, as it follows this pattern, put off, put on, and why. We'll deal with the put off this week and put on and why next week, Lord willing. But, but don't get angry at me for taking so long to deal with anger. Again, again, in Proverbs, we're told, we're told to, be, to be slow to anger. So I'm being slow to anger, at least to deal with anger. This, this issue affects all of us to one degree or another. So verse 26, again, Paul says, be angry and do not sin. That is two commands. Be angry, don't sin. It's two commands. He's not saying, if you get angry, don't sin. He's not saying, since you're going to be angry no matter what, make sure you don't sin. He's saying, be angry. And he's also saying, don't sin. He's saying, don't sin when you get angry. As we talked extensively last week, not all anger is sinful. God is angry throughout the Bible, but his anger is always in a perfect way for the perfect motivation. His motivation is that he is motivated by his own holiness and justice. It is for his glory. And in the manner, he's always angry in the right way for the right amount of time in a perfect measure. And because we are made in the image of God, then we too also have the capacity for righteous anger. But it was corrupted by the fall. So the definition and, and the, the, the measure of our anger, whether it's righteous or not, that if we're going to be righteously angry, we need also to be motivated by God's holiness, by God's glory. And the right manner means that we need to be motivated by our anger to do something, to pray, and then to act where it's appropriate. But we have to admit that, that so often our anger is not in the right way. It's not right in motivation. Eric, I'm actually going to just go with this with the pulpit mic here. That so often our, our anger is really not in the right, with the right motivation or in the right manner. We get angry over personal offenses. Somebody does something and we get mad. Again, it's, it's perfectly natural to be upset by things like this, but, but again, it's, it's why and how. It's what do you do about it. In some cases, it's actually good to overlook an offense. And, I was, just saw this this week, Proverbs 12, 16, and it really, um, got really impressed in my heart that the vexation of a fool is known at once, but hear this, the prudent ignores an insult. The prudent ignores an insult. Similarly, Proverbs 19, 11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Again, Ecclesiastes 7, verses 21 and 22. Do not take to heart the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed <coughs> others. But what happens when, when somebody does something that we don't like, we're personally offended? God has really nothing to do with it. We are personally offended, and so we want to make it right. We want to deal with that sin that person committed against us. And we do it not because it's for God's righteousness or because we love that other person, but because we love ourselves and we don't like people treating us the way we don't think we deserve to be treated. 
We get angry because we don't get our own way. One of the, the kids said that. We get angry because we want to protect something. And, and really, our, our anger reveals what's important to us. It reveals idols in our hearts. It, 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 when, when somebody gets angry about something, it, it's actually showing you really what's going on inside, what the things are that they really love. And, and really, when you get sinfully angry, what you're showing is that you love whatever that thing is more than you love God. And so when that anger comes to a surface, to the surface, it's an opportunity for you to deal with it, for you to repent of that before the Lord and to ask Him to forgive you and to cleanse you. That's what James is talking about in James 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and, you're, and you quarrel. Again, if somebody sins against you, it's, it's natural to get angry. And in and of itself, it's, it's not wrong. Remember that, that when somebody sins against you, God is angry about that too. But at this point, you have a choice. You can go in one of, one of two ways. You can either respond in a fleshly way, which, which is really so often the default, or you can leave it to God. So you see whatever that thing is that makes you angry, you can either, you can either get, get fuming about it and really, uh, or you can leave it to God and, and leave it with Him. When, when you are angry in your flesh, what you're really doing is you're leaving God out of the equation. You're leaving God completely out of the equation. It is, it is taking matters into your own hands. And when you get angry in a fleshy way, it's, it's really a theological statement. When you express <coughs> sinful anger, what you're really doing is you are saying that God is not doing a good job. You're, you're denying that God is sovereign. And you're, not, you're denying that God is wise. You think you are wiser than God and more powerful than God, and so that you have to deal with it yourself. That's really what you're saying. When, when you get sinfully angry. But what does Romans 12, 19 say? It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Remember that all sin is ultimately committed against God, and He is a just judge. He will deal with it. And so you can trust Him. You can trust Him even with those things that are so very important to you. But even if you're angry for the right reasons, whether it's somebody who's spreading false doctrine or, or somebody who's blaspheming or somebody who's, who's hurting somebody else, even if you're really motivated by the righteousness of God, then, then the manner of your anger is just as important as the motivation. The manner of your anger, anger, how you express it, is just as important as the motivation. James 1.20 says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So if you are really aiming for the righteousness of God, at that thing that's making you angry, then you know that, that you do not need to deal with it, that you must not deal with it in a sinful and fleshly way. You must look to God and, and deal with it His way, according to His word. But we're often pra 
pragmatists, aren't we? We often think, well, anger works, right? When you want your way, anger is an effective way of getting it, right? When you want your way, it, you can often get your way by throwing a temper tantrum. Kids learn that at a, at a very young age. But it doesn't really work. It, it just leads to more sin. So say somebody, said, somebody says something to you that, that bothers you, and, and whether, they, whether it's something you don't believe is untrue, or, or even worse, something that is unbiblical, and, and you challenge their position. You say, well, that's not true. Instead, this is true. And then they respond, and they ratchet it up a little bit. And at this point, you feel your heart start to pound. Right? You, you know this feeling? Your heart starts to pound, and, and your adrenal glands start to, to pump hormones through your body, and the hormones are rushing, and it actually feels good. There's, there's a rush that, that comes from sinful anger. I, I'm sure all of us in this room have experienced this. And it's, 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 it's reinforcing. It actually reinforces the anger because it feels good, almost like a, like a drug addict rushes to the, to the drug that they love. But before you know it, there's, it's been a huge outburst that, that has just spewed out of your mouth. Maybe the other person will then cow down to your anger. Maybe you feel like you won. Or maybe they'll respond in kind and it'll, it'll get worse. Or it'll even come to blows. That, that, I've, I've even seen fistfights break out in church. Remember what Matthew Henry said. He said that anger is like a fire. It is a good servant, but a bad master. Fire is a good servant, but it is a bad master. Fire, the, the anger that, that's, that's in us should motivate us to doing the right thing, to dealing with sin in a righteous way. But so often when we get to that point, it takes over and controls us, and we're taken completely out of the equation. So the, the thing that, that God would have, have used us for to be able to help to alleviate the situation, to fix a problem, instead we poured gasoline on it, and it's just exploded. But there's one specific way here in this passage that Paul says that your anger can become sinful. You look at the second half of verse 26. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. If you have gone angry about something, even if you've gone angry with for the right reason, even if your motivation has been good, and even if, if the manner of your anger has been good, if you do not deal with that quickly, you are sinning according to this verse. If you don't deal with your anger quickly, you are sinning. This principle probably comes from, from Psalm 4.4, the verse that Paul is quoting here in Ephesians 4.26. He says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. The Greek philosophers had a similar principle. Plutarch said that if betrayed into angry reviling, the Pythagoreans made it their rule to shake hands before sunset. They, their practice was to shake hands before sunset. They were not letting the sun go down on their anger. Even, even pagan Greeks got this. But there, there is a grave danger of going to bed with unconfessed, unresolved, sinful anger. Where do you think the most likely place for this to happen is? 
in marriage. The most likely venue for this sort of anger is in marriage. So your spouse said something or did something during the day that really ticked you off. But instead of talking about it and praying about it, you go to bed angry. Notice I didn't say you go to sleep angry because in those moments sleep is hard to come by. That is, unless you're really used to, go to, to going to bed angry, then, then sleep for you is no problem. It's a sign of a seared conscience. But what happens is you, you wake up in the morning and there's, there's maybe an iciness hanging in the air. Now what's happened is that, that anger has just been suppressed. It festers under the surface and it's ready to, to explode again at the least provocation. Now, I do need to make one qualification here. I, we do need to, to deal with anger um, quickly. But, but if you've been talking about an issue and you're, you're trying to resolve it and you're, you're, not, coming to, you're not coming to a place where, where you really are, are working it out, then it, there's a time that's probably wise for, for you to, to, to commit to deal with it and make sure there is no ill will. Deal with those things in your heart before the Lord. And then to, to go to bed and then to get up the next morning and, and deal with it. It's not saying literally that you have to deal with that anger before you go to sleep. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes 2 or 3 in the morning, um, I'm not making a whole lot of sense. Sometimes it happens a lot earlier than that. Sometimes it's about 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. But, but the reality is, is that there's a time and place just to go to sleep and to talk about the next morning. But, but so often when we do that... We don't talk about it, right? We, we, we say we'll talk about it in the morning and then we don't. We just let it, let it slide. But, but, but if that's the case, don't go to sleep until you've actually dealt with it. Make sure that is your pattern. But Paul, Paul's point here is that we must deal with our anger promptly, making reconciliation as quickly as possible. And if you do not do that, you're giving an opportunity to the devil. Verse 27. Last time I asked you who the angriest person in the Bible is. And some of you answered correctly, God. God is the angriest person in the Bible. But who is the second angriest person in the Bible? The devil. David Paulison says that God and the devil are both angry all the time. On whose side is your anger? If you leave the door open just to crack, Satan will come through with all of his hellish horde behind him. And he will wreak havoc in your life and the lives of all those you come into contact with. Think of, of God's warning to Cain in Genesis 4.4. He said that, he told Cain, he said, Sin is crouching at the, at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. Its desire is against you. But you must rule over it. You must rule over it. And so we can see from that, that that Satan isn't really the source of your anger. Your heart is. It, it's what comes from out of your heart that defiles you. That's what we showed the kids from, from Mark 7, verses 20 to 23. And that list includes a, a lot of the, the sins in that list are sins of anger. It, it's <laughs> sin that's bubbling up out of our heart. And all that's happening is that the circumstances are, are, are bringing it out. It's like Jim uses the illustration of it's, your heart is like a tea bag and the circumstances of your life are really the hot water that brings out the flavor that is there. So, it's, so the devil is not the source of your anger. It's your passions which are at war within you. We saw that in James 4.1. So it, it's not the devil made me do it. 
It's not the devil made me do it. Anger feeds on itself and it grows. Satan stokes the fire. And he will use unresolved anger to destroy relationships as bitterness takes root. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. That root of bitterness that, that defiles all of those that, comes in, that come into contact with it. Well, let's jump now down to verse 31. Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. This is a, this is a list of forms that anger takes, all growing from that, that unresolved anger. And then it, it shows what happens when, you, when the devil gets a foothold. They grow in intensity. They grow in intensity from an inward emotion to seething, to shouting, to abusive language and slander, to a disposition of consuming hatred. That's, what, that's what's happening there. There's a progression of sinful anger. Now some people immediately out of a habitual, unresolved sinful anger can jump to the, the most hated forms of anger and the most hated forms of anger quite quickly. They can go from 0 to 100 in 2.5 seconds. They're the person with a hasty temper from Proverbs 14.29 where we're warned of that, that those who do so exalt folly. Those who are of a hasty temper exalt folly. They, they, foolishness follows them wherever they go. And others seem to settle in on, on one or more of these forms of anger, but they can all be equally damaging. They can all be equally damaging. So let's briefly take a look at, at each of them in turn. The word that's translated here as bitterness uh, originally referred to sharp arrows. And later it came to mean something that was sharp to the taste. The bitter, like the bitter taste of, of plants. It's, it's the, so bitterness here is that, that sharp, intense resentment or hatred. Last week we, we used several illustrations to show the, the different forms of anger. This, this type of anger is like that, the nuclear radiation where that, that bitterness is under the surface and you don't see it, but it contaminates everything. That's bitterness. Then there's wrath. And this is also, is a, when you look at the, where this word came from, it originally referred to a violent movement of air or water or the ground or animals or men. It's a, a state of intense anger with the implication of, of passionate outbursts of, of anger, of fury, of wrath, or rage. Now this here is, is wrath in the sense it's, it's more passionate and, and more temporary than, than the next word, anger. And so think here of the geyser. Talked about this last week. The geyser is, is the, the one where it just it ex explodes at regular intervals with, with steam and, and poisonous gas. There's certain things that, that set it off. The next one is, is anger. And this here is the, a strong displeasure. This is a, a settled and abiding sense state of anger. It springs from personal anim animosity or seething or a, a steady festering. I think this one here is the glacier. Where it, it moves slowly but inexorably forwards, consuming everything in its path. I mean, changing the climate. Then there's clamor. This is a, a, it's a, it's automatic pay. The word actually in, in Greek is, is 
describes a sound. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a, um, a loud scream or a shout. And it can be positive or negative depending on the context. But it's, it's the loud um, yell of an angry man in this, in this context. He's going to make sure that everybody hears his, his grievance. Again, I think this would describe the, the geyser with the hot gas that is spewing out. And the slander. Now with, with slander, what we're, we're getting into, I mean, they're, they're all damaging, and, and people can be damaged in these, thing, in these ways, but, but slander is, it's, it's really when we speak against someone so as to, to harm or injure their reputation. It's profane or abusive speech. And, um, so here we're actually seeking to damage the person by spreading information about them. And, and so here, I think probably the, the best one is the, is the volcano. Right? Because there, there's actually a lot of physical damage or well, spiritual, personal, emotional damage that is, is being inflicted on the other person as, as, this, as, it's, as the, 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 la the lava of the, that hot lava of your anger spreads and touches other people. And this last one is, is malice. He says we need to forsake malice in, in all of its forms. And malice is a, is a feeling of hostility, of, of strong dislike, and maybe even to the point of desiring to do harm to the other person. This is that, that hateful feeling. It's, it's really murder in your heart. So you can see that progression, can't you? You can see how it, how it goes from, first from, from unresolved anger into bitterness, and then, and then on to malice, where, where, the, where you really just you can't stand even the sight of a person. You want ill against them in your heart. So anger isn't just blind rage. Anger can be expressed in grumpiness, in sarcasm, in moodiness, in, in self-pity, in a critical spirit, in, in iciness. You've had times that where something has happened to you and you, you play it over again and again and again in your mind. You, you relive the incident. You stop believing the best about the other person. You, you begin to assume negative emotions or attitudes. And so the person is, is tried, convicted, sentenced, and executed in your heart and your mind. You gossip about the person. You, you slander them. You, you are executing them now with your words. And what happens is, is people begin to take sides. Factions form. Friendships are destroyed. Churches are destroyed. As we think about, about what Paul is, is talking about here, at this, at this point in the passage, the main theme is really unity in the church. He's been talking about that really for a couple of chapters. And, and so what he's saying is, is we need to be on guard against these things. It, it, all of our relationships are negatively impacted by unresolved, unrighteous anger. But, but specifically he has in mind here the church. The church. Remember that, that Christ has broken down the wall of hostility, that wall of hostility that separated us from God, and because of that, that wall of hostility has also been torn down between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. So you need to deal with anger. We all need to deal with anger. Anger, in, sinful anger in all of its forms. We need to be angry at sinful anger. We need to be angry at it, angry enough to do something about it, angry enough to deal with it. 
Otherwise, you will be used by Satan to tear down the unity of the church. People get bitter and they tell others their offense. They recruit others to their side. So we need to guard vigilantly against bitterness. First, in your own heart. Recognize it. Pray about it. Ask the Lord for forgiveness for it. Confess it to God. And if somebody's hurt you, tell them. Tell them that they have hurt you and forgive them. But you also need to guard vigilantly against bitterness in other people so that you don't get defiled by their bitterness. Or warned, I don't remember the reference, but to avoid an angry person lest you become like them. But when somebody is, is angry about something, there's, there's a fleshly satisfaction, isn't there, when somebody comes to you with, with some information about somebody else. And it kind of feels good to have to, to know that, that you're their confidant. But then you've been defiled by their bitterness. So you need to deal with it. You need to, to if somebody comes to you with something like that, you need to, to tell them, I'm not the one you should be telling. You need to talk to the Lord about this. You need to talk to them about it. We need to fight against these things in the church. <clears throat> I'm going to have to draw it to a close here, but, but if you have been <coughs> challenged or convicted about your anger this morning, then praise God. <coughs> This is the gracious work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. I want to encourage you to, to do something about it. If you have sinned against somebody in, in, in particular with your anger, you need to confess that to them. You need to ask their forgiveness. And ultimately you need to confess to the Lord and ask His forgiveness because He is the one against whom you're ultimately sinning. We're going to talk more about the, the solution to dealing with these things next week, but, but if, if you need to talk, if you need to talk about this, then please give me a call, or, or even better, talk to me this afternoon, and we'll, we'll set up a time to get together this week. These are really, really important issues. It's, they're all important issues, but, but there's so much capacity for unrighteous anger to do damage in your life and in the lives of others. So, so make an opportunity to, to deal with it. But I can't stop without pointing you to the ultimate solution for unrighteous anger. I can't leave without without talking to you about what to do. The solution to your unrighteous anger is God's righteous anger. The solution to your unrighteous anger is God's righteous anger. All through the scriptures you can see how, how God is angry at sin. He must be angry at sin, otherwise he ceases to be holy and he ceases to be just. But God's righteous anger was poured out on his righteous son for us. And so if you are here this morning and being convicted by the Holy Spirit because of anger in your heart, if you are here as a Christian, then deal with that anger before the Lord by, by 
confessing it and by forsaking it. But if you were here this morning as an unbeliever, then the answer is still the same. But it's going to God with, with a heart of repentance. Maybe this is the first time that you're really doing this, that you're, you're realizing because of the pattern of, of sinful anger in your life is such that you realize that you are not really a Christian. And deal with it before the Lord. Turn to the righteous Christ. Go to Him with all of your unrighteousness and ask Him to forgive you. Trust that His, that your, that, that your sin was placed on Him, that your sin was given to Him and His righteousness was credited to you. Believe that He died for your sins and that He rose again on the third day to show that God was satisfied with his perfect sacrifice. That the solution for your unrighteous anger is God's righteous anger. Whether you are here as a Christian or not, the answer is still the same. Turn to Christ and be forgiven. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we thank you. Lord, that although you are supremely and infinitely angry at sin because, Lord, we know that all sin is infinite because it is against you, the infinite God. Lord, we thank you that you are also infinitely merciful, infinitely loving, and infinitely gracious. Lord, that you have poured out your grace upon those who will, who will repent of their sins and put their faith, faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that that you would help us, Lord, as a forgiven people to be a forgiving people. Lord, I, I pray that through the coming week that, that, that we won't just leave any the, the thoughts of, of what the, the Lord, what you've been doing by your spirit in our hearts, that we won't just leave it here, but Lord, that you would continue to work. That you would continue to work in our hearts, and Lord, that we would participate in that sanctifying work that that we would confess, that we would, would ask your forgiveness, that we would ask forgiveness of, from others that we have sinned against. Lord, we pray that, that you would help us, Lord, to confess our sins to one another, that we may be healed. Lord, that we might seek accountability. That we might seek counsel. Lord, I pray that, that we would be a people, Lord, who would reflect the forgiveness that we have received that would be reflections of Christ himself. Lord, we can't do this in and of ourselves. We need your spirit to work in our hearts. So would you, Lord, for the glory of your name and the building of your church.